0: Welcome. Come on in and have a seat. If you're new with us this morning, we're just really thankful to have you with us. Hope that you uh, just feel welcome among us. We're really glad to have you and um, just just really thankful to that you came and that God brought you here to worship the Lord with us today. So welcome. And if there's anything that you, if you're new or if you're not new, if you need during the week, uh, all of our, us pastors' phone numbers are on the back of this bulletin, and you can reach out to us or text us or call us, and uh, we'll, we'll do whatever we can to help you out in any way we can, but uh, welcome. I uh, we just got a few things to announce today. There's a, there's a new summer program now that Awanas is over, and uh, we're going to do something a little different. It's going to be fun. We're going to meet in Washington Park on Wednesday nights from 530 to 7, and we're going to grill some hamburgers and hot dogs. And you're just going to bring a, a side dish, a bag of chips, whatever, and uh, just uh, enjoy some fellowship together. Uh, we're going to be just uh, preaching through the Psalms. Uh, some of the men in the church are going to be doing that. I think Nick Belleville is up this Wednesday night. And there's been, I think there's, gosh, 15 or 16 other guys that are going to going to step up and do it too. So it's going to be really neat. Um, hopefully it's something that you can just come to and bring a lawn chair and uh, enjoy. Enjoy just a little bit of different thing. If it rains, like it did this week, it'll just be here. And we'll probably send out an email, of course, but just know that if the weather is bad, then we'll just come to the church and do it here. But the weather's not going to be bad. It's going to be perfect all summer. Yep. Winter's over. Um, <laughs> How, this uh, Thursday is a fundraiser for uh, CYA. Or, um, the, it's uh, Jimmy Lundy who... Uh, runs a ministry here that does backyard Bible clubs. It's where we go into different parts of the city and just bring the kids out. It's pretty simple kind of thing of bringing these kids out and they do backyard Bible clubs through the week and are able to share Jesus with these kids. It's a really great ministry that we are able to do here. It's probably untold amount of kids have known the gospel because of this ministry. And there's a fundraiser, a pizza ranch, from 5 to 9 p.m. on Thursday. So if you just go to that, those proceeds will go to help support Jimmy Lundy and that ministry. It's a great thing. Then we have a children's camp coming up. Um, you need to get your deposit in by June 8th. And uh, we also need some sponsors for that camp. If anybody wants to get involved in that, then uh, you uh, should contact Ashton, our church uh, ministry coordinator. And then uh, VBS, the registration is open. That's June 13th through the 16th. So you'll need to uh, get, get, uh, get online and, and be a part of that. And then we have Move for Mobility, which is the uh, ministry where we uh, raise money to buy wheelchairs to go to third world countries. And that's on June 4th at 11 a.m. It's going to be a, a walk, a bike, a kayak. Um, I think you can roller skate too. So uh, being part of that on June 4th at 11 a.m. Meets at Fort Casper. And uh, I think that's all. All these sorts of things coming up. But uh, it's just great to hear what God's doing in all these things. And I hope that you can be a part of it. Let's stand up and worship the Lord. God, thank you that you brought us here. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much, God, that you... You intervened for us and died on the cross, Lord, and because you died on the cross, you've given us your spirit, Lord, and your spirit is here with us today, God, and we're here to hear from your word and here to raise our voices and worship you. We're here to let our hearts uh, be cleansed by you and spoken to by you and moved by you, Lord, and that we can go out and obey and walk closer with you this week, God, in the purpose and the calling that you've called for us. Pray that we would do it in your precious name. Amen. God
1: has been so good to us. Let's read together this morning from his word. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Wait for it to move here. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, and he has given us everything that we need. Let's rejoice in that this morning.
2: of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so led me through the fire, in darkest night, you were close like no other, I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of God. Amen. <laughs> so so I'm going
1: to the Turn and tell someone how good he's been to you this morning.
2: mine, oh, O a foretaste of glory divine, air of salvation, purchase of God. Day long, this is my story, and this is my song.
1: You may be seated.
0: Today, we're going to pray for True Care. True Care is the Women's Crisis Pregnancy Center here in Casper. And I've been uh, privileged to serve on the board for over five years now, and it's just been incredible to see how uh, True Care has just impacted the lives of like, hundreds of women, 195 women last year, and uh, 55 women just this year have uh, come to True Care and kind of found, found their way out of what is an impossible situation. These women come and find themselves in a, in a pregnancy that they, they just can't, they, they have to have an abortion. There's no no other way out of it, and they're able to come to True Care and find out that there is, there is a way out of it, and there, there's people that that uh, walk with them. And, and every person in this room, I'm, I'm sure that every one of you has had someone in your life that walked with you during a time, and it changed your life, that somebody, somebody loved you or helped you during a time in your life when it was impossible to see your way through. And that, that's what we do at True Care. We find find these women, God brings them to us, and we're able to love them and walk with them and show them that they, they don't need to have an abortion, that they can, they can carry this precious life. And uh, we, don't, we don't belittle them. We don't, uh, we don't uh, criticize them or come down on them. It's just a, we show them the truth about who they are in Christ and who this baby is and what that means for their future. And most of them, a large percentage of them, they, they choose life, and they, they, don't, they don't go and have an abortion. Uh, some of them do. Some of them do have an abortion. And uh, they, they come back to true care, and we love them through that, through the trauma that that is, and we walk with them through that decision that they've made and, and try to try to help them find peace and joy. And every, every woman that comes through the door gets to hear about Jesus, and many of them see that it's Jesus that can walk them through this difficult time, whether they had an abortion or whether they didn't. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on in our world, and I, I think that uh, it'd be great if our leaders would would overturn Roe versus Wade it's, uh, and make abortion illegal. That's, that's obviously something that our, our leaders should do, and we should be grateful that they did that, but that would not change the 55 women just this year. It wouldn't change their circumstance. It wouldn't help them any, and uh, there's an abortion clinic that they're building in Casper right now, and uh, we've, we've uh, stood out there and prayed that God wouldn't do that, and we're We'd be, we'd be so happy to see God answer that prayer and that abortion clinic not open here in Casper. And that would be a, a great testimony to his work in our community to protect uh, us against that travesty and that evil. But it would not help the 55 women that came in just in the last few months into true care. It wouldn't help them. They would still be in need. They would still have a need to, to get out of the situation that they're in and they would still need somebody to show them hope. So even though these things are, are happening in our city and in our country, it doesn't change the fact that we need to, to stand for life and stand for these women and stand in the gap of this place that they're at. And it's the greatest thing uh, working on the board there at uh, True Care because you get to see these women that, that just love, they pray Every morning they stand in a circle in the lobby and they just pray. They pray for God to work and for God to send women into the clinic. And then the women come into the clinic and they, they, they show them love. They show them Jesus. And it's a powerful thing that's happened in our city. I mean, what a blessing that these women are being ministered to right here in our city. So I want to give you guys an opportunity to uh, support that ministry. Um, there's a Walk for Life, a fundraiser coming up. There's some uh, pamphlets out there. On the tables outside the door. Um, You can come to that on uh, Saturday, June 11th. It uh, starts at uh, 9 o'clock. And it's uh, just a great time. You can uh, be sponsored, and there's some information about that. Or you could sponsor some of the walkers that are amongst us now and just help raise money for this ministry. But uh, I would encourage you guys to go to that just to see the, the love and the unity that's there. You know, whenever we stand together as the body of Christ in any way, we we love. We don't do anything, we don't accomplish anything. We don't we don't we're not able to do Jesus's work without love and the encouragement that you'd get from uh, going to this walk and seeing these people that just love and it's love that conquers everything. So let's pray for uh, true care and uh, pray for this walk and continue our service. God, thank you for your love, Lord, that you loved us so much, Lord, that you died on the cross for us, Lord, and because you loved us and you died on the cross for us, we can love others, Lord, and it's love that is going to heal this country. It's love that's going to heal this city. It's love that's going to heal the women that are going to come into True Care, Lord. Another, another 130 women are going to come through the doors of True Care this year, Lord, and we're going to love them, Lord, like you loved us. And when they feel that love, Lord, they're going to know that they can make their way through this situation, Lord, and they're going to be happy that they did, God. And if they don't, if they do make the decision to abort their baby, we're going to love them, Lord, and show them that your love can heal them and heal their heart and heal the brokenness in their life with the same love, God. And I pray that we would love and that we would worship you as we carry on this service in love and just realize and bask in your love, God, that has changed everything in our life, Lord. And if if you're here today and you don't know that love, just keep worshiping with us so that you can see it. your precious name, amen
1: been here the last few weeks, you've heard about from Ruth 1, and you've heard about how Elimelech and Naomi walked in the flesh. Let's read this passage from Ephesians together. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart and they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness i read this this week and so reminded of the last two weeks messages and the need to walk in the spirit and paul's call here that we don't walk in the futility of our mind that we know if, if you've been here the last few weeks we've seen where walking in the futility of our mind leads us so Let's walk in the Spirit as we're called to.
3: Out of the depths I cry to you In darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry For mercy, Lord Were you to count My sinful ways How could I come Before your throne Yet full forgiveness Meets my and redeemed by grace alone.
2: Satisfied I will ever be true It's shame and reproach gladly bear Then you'll call me someday to my home
4: Kids, time for super church, third grade and under I'm out those doors. <clears throat> Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's such a blessing to to just come and worship. I'm glad you made it and it's kind of an exciting day for us. We're blessed to have a young couple getting married this afternoon. Connor and Hannah uh, will be Etzel Miller after this afternoon, Lord willing, and hope you'll pray for them It's always an exciting time, but um, this morning, we're going to continue our study through the book of Ruth. It's, uh, it's quite a little book. It's an interesting little book. It's just four chapters long. It's just about this precious woman, you know, that somehow by the grace of God ends up in a place that she could never have imagined. But the book starts out with this kind of familiar setting, right? We read about Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, their two sons, They realize there's a famine in the land of Israel, and instead of trusting God, instead of even praying about it, seeking God's will, trying to find out what God wants, it says Elimelech basically takes his wife, they head to Moab, and they believe that they're going to take care of themselves over in Moab. Now, quite honestly, Moab was a very hated country from Israel. They were enemies of Israel. Uh, It represented idolatry and ungodliness and really represents the world to us today. And the world to us today is basically anything without God. Whatever we do without consequences or consideration of God, that's the world. And it's crazy because, I mean, too many of us probably live more like a and Naomi, right? We have situations in our life that we evaluate based on, you know, who we are and what we can do and what we can understand. And we make decisions. We don't pray. We just go, we can't stay here because there's no food. So we got to go there. We head over there thinking that once we get there, we're going to take care of ourselves because surely we'll figure this out as we go. I mean, how many people have told you, I just figure it out as I go, right? But that's never really true. Because when we rebel against God, which is what they did, they left God. They went to a country that didn't worship God. They left their people behind. I mean, they, they rebelled, believing they were gonna make things happen. But when they get there, it doesn't tell us how long they were there, but Elimelech dies. And that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's tragic because to have a widow without a husband meant to have a woman that could not take care of herself. Now, she still had two sons. And even then, the Bible tells us that Naomi didn't make the decision to go back to Israel and to go back to God. She stayed there in Moab, whereas her sons grew older. They married Moabite women, which was forbidden. God said that no Moabite should become a part of the assembly of the Lord. It was forbidden. But because they'd already left and walked in the world, they just lived in the world. That's what happens to us. When we walk away from God, we live our own ways we do the things that we are normally do. We just live in the world. And so they marry these women and then they die. And we talked about the first week being on the road to nowhere. You think you're going to get ahead. You think you're going to take care of yourself. You think you're going to make things happen. But you're on the road to nowhere. You're not with God. There's no assurance of your future. There's no wisdom that you have apart from God. You're just out there on your own. And so then there's Naomi as a widow and Orpa, one of the daughters-in-law, and then Ruth, the other one, and they don't have anybody to take care of them. In particular, Naomi, because she's a foreigner. And in those days and in those cultures, three widows were going to basically end up begging. That's what they were going to do. So then Naomi goes, well, I don't really have any choice. I have to go back to Israel, specifically to Bethlehem in Israel. But it's not such an easy trip. I mean, if her daughters-in-law go with her, they have to leave their families and their country and their gods, it says. But if they stay, they have to be separated from this mother-in-law of theirs that they have obviously grown to love. Well, Naomi tells them, don't go. Stay here with your family. Stay here with your gods. It's one of the most offensive things in the world to me. That because Naomi had lived so long without God in her life, she's actually encouraging these young ladies to go back to idols, which are no God at all. She doesn't even care. She doesn't even realize how important it is that she could bring these two young ladies back to Israel with her to the living God. But she says, just go on back. There's nothing for you there. We'd all be widows. We're all going to be beggars. Well, Orpah goes back home, but Ruth says, and no, I'm going with you. She makes this incredible statement that we read last week. Where you go, I'll go. <clears throat> Where you live, I'll live. Who your people are, they'll be my people. Who your God is, he'll be my God. Where you die, I'll die, and I'll be buried there. She commits completely, not just to Naomi, but to the people of God and to God himself. An incredible thing. But to go home, I mean, it was It was devastating. It was difficult. And 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 this is so true. I mean, I believe that there's so many people that actually live in this state of thinking. You know, I need to go back to God, and I'm not just talking about coming back to church. I'm not just talking about you know, kind of doing some activities. I'm talking about coming back to God, where you humble yourself and you come back and you say to God, "Here's my life. I've I've strayed. I've walked in the flesh." I've done it my own way, my life's broken, it's screwed up, and I'm just gonna avail myself to you, Lord. Here I am, do with me as you wish. That's hard. If you've never done that, it's harder than you think it is because then you have to ask the really difficult questions. What is God gonna do with me? How is God gonna respond to me? Will God love me? Will God accept me? Will God bless me? Will God make something good of this life? And and the people that I deal with that we talk about those things on that level, it's hard because they're like, how is God going to fix this and how is God going to build this and how is God going to repair this and and so many times we just don't really go home. And Naomi went home and and she was bitter. Matter of fact, she gets back to Bethlehem and all the people make a big stir and they go, you know, is that Naomi? Has she come home? Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant. I left full, she says, but I've come back empty. And she attributes all that to God. And she said, instead of calling me Naomi pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter. She was bitter and she was angry with God. And quite honestly, it's, it's, it's like fashionable today, isn't it? To get mad at God. It's fashionable today that if we don't get what we want and our life doesn't go the way we want it to go and it's not as easy as we want it to be, it's just fashionable to get mad at God and get bitter. But there you are, bitter and angry. She actually said, I left full. She actually testified, I left God. I left Israel. I left Bethlehem, house of bread. I left where God could provide for me. I left my faith I left God out of my life. I went my own way, and now God has brought me back empty. It's his fault. Isn't it always God's fault? Isn't it always easier to be mad at God than to take some responsibility for what you've done, decisions you've made? Isn't even when we are walking well with God and hard times come into our life, instead of being thankful for God, doing something powerful in our life through the trials that we go through, to be mad at God. Isn't that, isn't that fashionable today? There really are a serious number of pretty bitter people in the world today, right? Well, we ended last week on the last part of the last verse of chapter 1, and it simply just says this. It says, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's just this little sweet kind of lead-in phrase that begins to turn us toward this work of God that we begin to see. God's already been working in Naomi's life. He's already been working in Ruth's life. He's always working. He's always moving. He always knows where we are. He always knows what we need. He's always, he's always working. Sometimes we just don't want to see, right? Well, let's look at chapter two. Let's talk about God's unexpected grace this morning. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers said, She's a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's good to be here. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that we can come and look into your word and have it reveal truth to us, truth that encourages us, truth that challenges us, truth that calls us, Lord, to see you in your love, your grace, your power, your wisdom, your patience, all the beautiful things that you are to us and I pray that you would open our hearts to you. There's many in this place that need to be renewed. We know you and yet Lord Jesus in so many ways we have gone off and lived our lives without seeking you, without trusting you. We've rebelled and even though we don't look like we're rebels Lord Jesus we are far from you. Would you renew us, return us Back to a right relationship with you, a sweet, dependent, thankful life with you. I know there are some here this morning that don't know you as Lord and Savior. One of the greatest need they have today is to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that you draw them today to trust him. I pray you'll be honored through what is done and how we respond to your word. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we start chapter 2 and it starts with this kind of incredible thing. It just like this statement that is going to be thrown out there, and then we're going to back up and kind of build up to it. But we we're introduced to this kinsman of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, the family of the Limelech, and his name was Boaz. And the word kinsman there just means kind of a near relative. Later on, we're going to read about it and talks about the kinsman redeemer, which is an incredible gift from God. But, but, but basically, the writer of Ruth tells us, right, that there's this guy named Boaz He's close to Naomi's family, Naomi's husband's family, Elimelech, but he doesn't really tell us much more about him because at this point in time, obviously, Naomi's not thought much of him and Ruth wouldn't even know him if she saw him on the street. She, they don't know anything about him. But listen to what happens as the story goes along. It tells us that Ruth basically goes to Naomi and says, please let me go and glean in the fields where I might find favor by someone, Right? And I I love this because I want you to know, I mean, these women are at the toughest times of their life. Naomi, in particular, is at the most difficult time of her life. I mean, she has no confidence in God. She has no husband. She has no sons. There's no one, in her opinion, who's going to take care of her. All she can say about herself is that she's bitter, bitter. She's angry, she's disappointed, she's let down. The expectations that she had of God were not fulfilled in her mind, even though it was her sin that had caused much of this problem. I mean, she's just broken. And quite honestly, I don't think that she's even considering having hope again. Because the truth is, is that Ruth is realizing if we don't go basically beg, live off the kindness of somebody else, we're gonna starve, now, Naomi could have gone. There's no reason. doesn't tell us that there's any reason for Naomi, why she couldn't go to glean in the field, but she wasn't going to go. So Ruth says, do you mind if I go? Do you mind if I go glean from someone? And, of course, Naomi says go, but I, but I love Ruth as well because Ruth actually says something I find amazing. She says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. In whose sight I may find favor. I love that little phrase because obviously Ruth is now stepping into a place she's never been before. She lives in a country where she's not a part of the people. She doesn't know their God. She doesn't know their society. But she has this flicker, at least, of hope that she's going to go somewhere and find favor. That would have been a pretty tough hope, actually, because. She's a Moabite. I've talked about this several times. Israel hated Moab. Moab hated Israel. They were violent enemies. When they went against one another, they went to kill each other. They went to take each other's food. I mean, they went to dominate each other. This woman would not have come to Bethlehem with a lot of goodwill. I mean, without a lot of expectations of having goodwill. There was just not going to happen, but... She has faith. And one of the great things about the book of Ruth is you begin to see this this glimpse of, of faith in Ruth. We saw it last week when she said, your God will be my God. Even that statement right there was this huge statement of faith. I'm leaving my God, and I'm going to take your God as my God. Would have been risky at best, if you will. I mean, if you don't believe that's risky, then go talk to somebody today in America who doesn't believe in Jesus, but they practice another religion and ask them if they're ready to trust in Christ and watch them walk through all the obstacles they have to come to know Jesus Christ. It's not so easy to give up your God. Well, she says, I'm gonna practice faith. We need food. I'm gonna step out. And I actually love this fact because she's gonna do something. You know, when you're relying on God, you have to practice faith. Practicing faith is not saying I believe God'll send in my problem or send in my answer to my problems." Practicing faith means following God, and it's always an action. Can I say that again, Faith is always an action. It's never just a desire. It's never just a statement. It's always an action. James 2:20 says, "But are you willing to recognize you, foolish fellow, that faith without works is what? Dead, useless. It's so true, right? If we're going to follow God and we're going to see God move in our life, we have to step out by faith. And Naomi, or excuse me, Ruth, steps out by faith. Naomi tells her to go. And the Bible says she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, I love this. She steps out. She goes, she starts to glean, and the Bible says that she happened to come upon a field belonging to Boaz. The Hebrew actually means, as chance chanced. That's what it means. As chance chanced, Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. In other words, Ruth had no design, she had no plan. She didn't know who Boaz was. She didn't know where Boaz's field was. She didn't know anything about this. She just left by faith to go find food for her and her mother-in-law. And as chance chanced, she ended up in Boaz's field. But I got to tell you, it's kind of just a play on words. Because as we see the rest of this chapter, and as we go through the rest of the book of Ruth, there's no chance involved in this situation. I mean, God's already been moving. We talked a little bit about that last week. How even in our struggles and even in our trials, God's moving. He brought Naomi and Ruth to the place where they had no choice but to go back to Israel. And now God's continuing to move in this, what I call, unexpected grace of God. This unexpected grace of God, this woman goes out terrified, intimidated, humbled, Basically, she's going to go to a field. It was legal, according to the word of God, to go in Israel and to glean from the sides of the field. Those that owned land and had grown grain, they were told not to harvest to the ends of their field to leave the sides and what they would drop on the ground to leave on the ground because that way that would be left for the widows, and the orphans, and the aliens, right? Naomi, Ruth, where they were. So it was legal to go do that, basically, if like I said, basically beg. But like I said, it wasn't gonna be so easy for Ruth. She's a Moabite, and everybody knew it. But she happens as chance, chance, as God's unexpected grace move. She ended up at Boaz's field. And I love verse four when Boaz Came back from Bethlehem or to Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord bless or be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. The first introduction we had to Boaz is this incredibly godly guy. May the Lord be with you, he says to his workers. I mean, these were servants. These were guys working for him. These were guys working for his good. He didn't have to be kind to them. He didn't have to be encouraged to them, but he was. May the Lord be with you. And of course. They knew him. They knew what kind of a man he was. And they said, may may, may the Lord bless you. We get introduced to this incredibly godly guy. And all of a sudden, right, flickers of hope start to burn a little brighter. Flickers of love start to burn a little brighter. And Boaz, as he looks around, he's blessed by the harvest coming. The famine's over. Food's growing. There's going to be food to eat, food to share. He's excited about that. But then he says to the servant in charge of the reapers. He says, whose young woman is this? Looking at Ruth. That's a, it's a pretty telling little statement because basically what he was saying is who takes care of this woman? Who takes care of her? And how does she fit into our society? Whose young woman is this? I mean, we've talked about it, right? If you don't have a husband, if you don't have a father as a young woman, There's no one really to take care of you. There's no one really to provide for you. You're kind of left to your own and what you're going to be left to is going to be difficult and not much of it. And so he wants to know who takes care of this woman? Basically saying, why is she in my field? And how does she fit into our society? And the answer by the servant is pretty telling. She's the young Moabite woman who returned from, with Naomi from the land of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She's been sitting in the house for a little while. And so he says very plainly, she's the Moabite. She doesn't belong to us. She's not one of us. She's not part of us. She came back to Bethlehem with Naomi, so if anybody's gonna take care of her, it's gonna be Naomi. But nobody take care of Naomi, meaning really nobody take care of Ruth either. But she's been here since early this morning. She's worked hard, now she's taking a little rest. That's who she is. And gosh, guys, I I read this stuff and you know I I wanna know oftentimes, I mean, what would this must have been like to be Ruth? I mean, everybody knew she didn't belong. And even everybody knew that she really wasn't allowed to become a part of the assembly of the Lord. It was, it was declared, it was wit- written by God. I mean, this is not a, this is not a situation that would have bode well for Ruth. A lot of hopelessness, a lot of uncertainty. She obviously was concerned about her mother-in-law Because her mother-in-law had really no hope either. And she was just, just laden down with bitterness and anger. Would have been an enjoyable home to live in, right? But she was also concerned about her own future. And everybody knew she didn't belong. But man, I love what happens next. Because for most people in Israel at this time... Once they learned that she was the Moabite, once she learned that she was a widow and she was with Naomi, once they learned that, they would have been like, well, you know, she's on her own. She doesn't belong to us. She doesn't belong to me. This is kind of her decision to come here on her own. So I'm just going to let it be. Let her go off on her own. I mean, so many people in Israel of that day would have said, "No, I'm done. I don't. I don't need to know anymore." I certainly don't need to help anymore. I'll let her do what is legally allowed for her to do as an alien in Israel, but I'm not doing anything else. but that's not what Boaz does. It's incredible to me. The Bible says in verse eight, then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with with my maids." Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. I mean, it's incredible to me. He says, listen carefully. I want you to take seriously what I'm about to say to you. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. I'm giving you an opportunity that you don't deserve. I want you, he says, He says, I want you to stay in this field. Don't go to another field. Don't go to another person who owns another field. Stay here. Don't go from this one, but stay here with my maids. Be one with the women that are serving in my field that I know, that I protect. And he says, let your eyes be on this field which they reap and go after them. Stay here, follow them, find out how to do it, learn your trade, if you will. And then he says, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. That's such a revealing statement. I mean, to be a widow, again, there was no one to protect you. There was no one to intercede for you. There was no one to stand up for you. I mean, if someone wanted to hurt you, no one was going to stop them. But Boaz says, I want to take care of you. That's what he's saying to her. I want to take care of you. When there's no one else to provide for you, I want to provide for you. And I want to protect you. When there's no one else to protect you, I've told my servants not to touch you. You're going to be safe here in my fields. And then he says, and when you're thirsty, you don't have to haul your own water. You don't have to figure out where the water is going to come from. They didn't have the water bottles that we carry around with us all the time, Right? They would have had to go to a creek or a well or somewhere and get some water. But he says, no, you go. You drink from what the, what the servants have drawn. I'm going to take care of you. And listen to what she, she does. Verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Isn't that the right question? I mean, She understood that she was she was undeserving. There was nothing about her circumstance that would move anyone else to do this much for her. Then she said, Why? Why would you be this kind to me when I'm a foreigner? And man, I gotta tell you that this is a perfect picture of who we are before we come to know Jesus Christ. I mean. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we didn't come to him because we were so good that he decided we were the best among the the pick of the litter, right? He chose us. No, we were undeserving. We didn't come to know Jesus Christ because somehow we were smarter than somebody else, better than somebody else. I mean, so many people in America today, honestly, they act like God owes them something, Right, Because they don't realize that their salvation is this incredible, unexpected grace of God. And most of us, as followers of Christ, we should return to the place where we go, God, why? Why would you show this kindness to us? It's not because of us. It's not because we earned it. It's not because we did something so good. But, but honestly, American Christianity today really is about how good we are and how much we've done. And we honestly do believe we've earned what we have. We don't believe that God has just given us these free, beautiful gifts, both of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and then all the blessings that we have. They're just gifts from God. Every good gift, the Bible says, comes down from the Father of lights above, right? It comes down. It's not us. If you have a good job, it's because God has given you a good job. If you have a home to live in, it's because you have a, God has given you a good home to live in. Car, because of God. I know, we go, well, we work really hard for our stuff. I know, because then we believe it's our stuff and we believe we've earned it and we believe we can do with it what we want and we live like a limeleck, right? We live like a limeleck, like we can go away from God and do what we want to and accomplish what we want to because we think we have, whereas truth be told is why Because we were aliens. We were not part of God's family. We were separated from Christ, dead on our transgressions and sins, right? Well, Boaz says, I'll tell you why. All that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of her husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. He says, I've heard about you. I've heard about how you treated Naomi. I've heard about how you left your your people and how you left your God. It's almost like Boaz was saying, I've been waiting to meet you. I've heard about you. Boaz has already been impressed with her. Everybody else was shunning her. Boaz is like, that's incredible what you've done for your mother-in-law and how you've left your people to come here. And then he actually Bless, this, sir, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge." What a revealing little verse. Man he says, "I'm here praying for you to be blessed, that your work would be blessed, your wages will be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, but I love this: under whose wings you've come to seek refuge." I I don't know where Ruth was. I don't know if she fully comprehended what it meant to leave her people, her family, her gods, her comfort, her society, and go to Israel where the one true and living God reigned and ruled over his people. She may not have had any idea, but Boaz understood. Boaz understood that when you said, To Naomi, your God will be my God. You've come to seek refuge under his wings. And when you come to seek refuge under the living God's wings, he does amazing things in your life. And man, you and I need to understand that today. So many of us, we claim to know Christ. We claim to have a relationship with Christ, but we're not expecting God to do great things. We're not even seeking to be under his refuge. We're still just claiming Christ living on our own. And what a heartbreak that is when you could actually see that you've come under his wings seeking refuge. And how big are his wings and how strong is he to give us refuge. Beth and I drove out in the country the other day and we were out of Buzzard Road, if you've ever been to Buzzard Road, kind of a neat little place. Very Wyoming. And uh, we saw these two golden eagles. I kind of looked out the window, and, man, there's this huge bird, right? If you've seen them, you know they're huge. He's flying, you know, and, and I mean, they're just so majestic. I stopped. I get out my binoculars, you know, because I don't see those things very often. It flies up in the tree, and all of a sudden I see another one flying around. Yep, there's two. And they are enormous, and they're strong, and they're powerful. They're majestic. I mean, they're incredible to watch, right? But they're nothing compared to God and his goodness, Man, you've come under his wings, and and Boaz is saying, "Man, if you want blessings, you stay here. You stay under the wings of the living God." And again, she responds to this incredible thing. She says, "I found favor." She said, "I have found favor in your sight, my lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants." And again, she just acknowledges this fact that. You know, she doesn't deserve anything he's doing for her. And man, I, I, I get so blown away sometimes by these simple thoughts. I'm a simple guy, but these simple thoughts mean a lot to me. I mean, if you're a sinner, I don't mean if you, if you think you're good. I'm not really talking to you. The Bible says there is none good, not even one. But that doesn't mean we believe it all the time. But if you're a sinner, and you understand you're a sinner, if you know you fall short, if you know that you don't do what you want to do, but you do what you don't want to do, and you have to confess with the Apostle Paul, what a wretched man am I, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Right? If you come to that place, and then you see this unexpected grace. How can you not ask, Lord God, why would you be good to me? I mean, isn't it exactly what the gospel says? I mean, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't it, Exactly what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isn't it amazing that salvation is this unexpected grace to the place where you and I should return to this marveling over Christ, to this just abundance of thanksgiving over Christ for what he's done for us. I mean, it's crazy to me that we can come to the place as followers of Jesus where we actually forget that what Christ has done for us is unspeakably loving and gracious, that there's nothing about us that should deserve that, that you and I should go through this world set free by the fact that he loves us and live every day with this joy and this hope and this peace of knowing that he loves us not based on who we are or what we've done. Last week, I was asked to go to the hospital a week ago Friday and uh, share with the guy, share the gospel with a guy who was dying. I'd never met the man. And uh, so I went into his hospital room and introduced who I was and told him who asked me to come and and just talked with him a little bit about where he was. And he was really uncomfortable. His stomach was... <laughs> really distended and liver wasn't working. Kidneys weren't working very well and a lot of pain. And, and so finally I just I asked him, you know, how are you responding to this? And he said, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm uncomfortable. And I said, well, are you afraid? Because I I've learned a long time ago when people are facing potential death, I, I always want to know believer or unbeliever are you afraid because a lot of times they are and nobody wants to talk to them about it so I just asked him are you afraid and he said I am I'm, I'm afraid and I said will you mind if I just share with you how you can have hope and how you can have life and so him and the people in the room actually said yeah go ahead and share and I shared the gospel with them just simple scriptures of the gospel and got done sharing the gospel with them I said do you have any questions and he says, I believe that Jesus came and died for me. I believe that. And I said, would you, would you want to trust him? And would you want to believe in him? Would you want to accept this free gift of life that he's given to all? He says, that's my, my problem comes in. He says, I, I don't deserve it. Which is pretty heartbreaking. It's true. And I told him, I said, you know, that's true. And he listed off. I've not been the father I want to be. I wasn't the husband I wanted to be. I have this issue in my life. And told me what the issue was. And it just consumed me and destroyed me. And I don't deserve it. And so I, the Lord just reminded me of First Peter 3.18. It says, basically, as Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. I said, he died for sins. He died for sinners. He was just, we were unjust. But he did that so he would bring us to God. He's not waiting for you to be good. All of us have fallen short. All of us have failed. I don't care who you are. I don't care how proud you are. I don't care what you think. We've all fallen short, the Bible says, of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And I told him, this is so true. And I said, I hate that you have regrets. I have regret- regrets too. Who doesn't have regrets? But that does not diminish Christ's love for you, his desire to save you. And I said, Would you like to trust Christ? And he says, I, I have to think about it. I said, Man, I hope you do. Because it's real and it's there. And I spent some more time with him and then I prayed with him and his family and I left. I meant to go back Monday to see him. He died Monday morning before I got to go to the hospital. You know, uh, we can pretend and we do a really good job of it that we're something special on our own. That somehow God's going to love us because we're not that bad. But it's not true. We're so much like Ruth and Naomi. We're like that every day. We're on our own apart from God. We have consequences of our sin that have wreaked havoc in our lives because we've been rebellious against God. But then there's this Savior. His name is Jesus. He came for us and says, don't care that you're Moabite. Don't care that you don't belong. It came for you. We should say, why, Lord, why? And then we should say, thank you, right? We should trust. I mean, Boaz is an incredible picture and he wasn't even done. Look at verse 14. At mealtime Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it she may glean and do not rebuke her. It gets even better, this picture of Christ through Boaz. It's mealtime. And Ruth, she didn't have anything. She didn't bring food to eat with her. There's really not any doubt about it. It's probably been a long time, at least several weeks, maybe, maybe even months since she really had a full belly because she's living off begging, right? There's no one there to feed her, take care of her. So she shows up that day. She didn't have water of her own. She doesn't have food of her own and they all sit down to eat. And I'm sure Ruth just thought, I'm just going to go over here and sit down and rest maybe for a while or maybe kept kept working. But Boaz said, no, you come sit down with my reapers. You come sit down with the men that I'm feeding so they can continue to take care of my harvest. The Bible says, he says, grab some bread, put it in the vinegar, make it taste a little bit better. And then the Bible says that he served her the roasted grain until she was full and then she had some left over. Now, here's the picture if I'm new to the scene, if I'm someone that doesn't know this man and doesn't know his reapers, and he says to me, here, come have some food. I'm going to go and have a little bit of food on my own, right? Because I'm not going to go there and just eat like a hog. It's not not the way it's going to be. You're going to have some consideration. But he didn't even ask her to just take what she wanted. He served her, which is incredible. Now, they didn't do that. The bosses, if you will, the landowners, they didn't serve, but Boaz is a picture of Christ and Mark ten forty five says, for he, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, right? So here's Boaz. He's this picture of Jesus. He's serving her and he's not just serving her a little bit. He serves her. Do you want some more? Yes, he serves us some more. Do you want some more? Yes, he serves us some more. Finally, she says, I'm full. And he says, I'll tell you what, here's some more. Because he knows that Naomi's at home and she's hungry too. And I love the the picture of who Christ is. He's, He's not just this servant or this God that wants to give you the bare minimum. I mean, there's so many of us today that are convinced that God doesn't want to bless us. We say, oh, we know God wants to bless us, but we don't really believe it because most of the time we say, we know he'll bless us, but will he? Or when will he? Or how will he? The truth of the matter is, is If you know Christ already, you are far more blessed than you've ever deserved with just Christ. And then he's poured out so much more. Romans 8 tells us, if he did not spare his own son, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Man, so many times we're just just missing this unexpected grace of God because we're so into taking care of ourselves and not trusting Jesus. Well, then it says... As she got up to glean, he tells his servants, you let her glean right from the field. And then if she can't get enough, after you've bundled up some stuff, you pull some more out for him, for her. And you give her all that she wants. And don't you rebuke her. Don't you get in her way. I'm going to take care of this woman because she doesn't have anybody else to take care of her. How incredible is our Savior? Well, let's go on. Verse 17 so she gleaned in the field until evening, Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah flower, or excuse me, barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what, she had, saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left over after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. I man, you must have thought that Naomi was just clicking her heels on the way home, and Ephah of barley is about a 50 pound bag, like a 50 pound bag of dog food. It was an incredible amount of barley for one day's work. She brings this barley home in this great big bag or whatever she's brought it home in. And Naomi says to her, Where did you work today and whose field were you in? I mean, how did this happen? And then she pulls out the extra grain that had been given to her to take home so that Naomi can eat. And Naomi is like, blessed be this man that's been so gracious to you, right? I mean, it's interesting to me because you all of a sudden begin to see like a little change in Naomi's heart here. I'm bitter, I'm angry. Nothing good's ever gonna happen. God sent me out full, but he made me empty to bring me back and blah, blah, blah. But now, who's this man and how did you get so blessed? And why don't we bless him? He must have been extremely kind to you by what you brought home to us. This is probably three or four weeks worth of food that she, she received in one day. Can you imagine? Well, <laughs> Naomi says, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. And again, Naomi said to her, this man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. And man, when Naomi or Ruth tells Naomi that this man is Boaz, her eyes kind of lit up. And she says, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn kindness from the living or the dead. In other words, she says, he's not forgotten my husband. and He's not forgotten my sons. And he's shown kindness to us as well as kindness to them by taking care of us when they can't. And she says, may this man be blessed for showing this kind of kindness. And then she says, this man's our relative, meaning a near relative. And then she says, he is one of our closest relatives. Which means kinsman redeemer, and this word kinsman redeemer I, I don't have the time today to go through it, but we will in the weeks coming we'll talk a little more about it, but let me just kind of read what it means: a kinsman redeemer was obliged to buy back relatives who had fallen into debt or found themselves into slavery, and you can read that in leviticus twenty five twenty five through fifty five and then under, under certain circumstances, the kinsman redeemer also had an obligation to marry the widow and raise up a child for the brother who had died childless. And that's Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. And basically what the kinsman redeemer was was to take care of this family. that couldn't take care of themselves, whether it was because of sin or brokenness or death, in order that their inheritance and their name might be maintained in Israel. It was this provision given by God. Provided long before this situation happened for exactly where Naomi and Ruth were. This needy place that they were in, God had made a way for them to be taken care of. And again, do you not see Christ in this? Do you not see? He's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the Bible says. God wasn't surprised when Adam sinned. He wasn't surprised when sin entered into the world and all sin or all died because all have sinned God wasn't surprised that you and I struggled God wasn't surprised that we were rebellious God wasn't surprised. He made a way for us to be saved. He did it through Christ Jesus our Lord, our kinsman, redeemer. Well, verse 21 says then Ruth the Moabitess said furthermore he said to me you should stay close to my servants until they finish all my harvest. In other words, Boaz came back later and said, don't you leave the whole time. You stay here with me and let me take care of you. And so then Naomi says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you don't, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. And I, I couldn't help but see the irony in this to some degree or maybe the insight because, you know, Don't go anywhere else, she says. It's good for you to stay here and let this man take care of you. When she left and refused to let God take care of her, you stay. Let this guy take care of you. It's good, quite honestly, to let Jesus Christ be your Savior and take care of you. You stay because I know what happens when I didn't stay. It gets pretty ugly. Then the Bible says, so she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Here's the picture. She didn't just stay during the barley harvest, but all the way through the wheat harvest. And every day, Boaz had already commanded his servants, let her glean where she wants to. And even after you've gathered up some, if she doesn't have enough, take some out so she can glean more. So every day she was seeing and experiencing the incredible grace of God. She was bringing home an ephah of barley every day. She was bringing home an ephah of wheat every day. She's bringing home this incredible harvest. And every day you could just see almost the amazement growing, right? This wasn't just a one-time thing. Watch what God's doing. How could you avoid it? Every day she's bringing home this great reaping, and they're putting bag after bag after bag of barley and wheat, week after week of provision, week after week of provision, month after month of food, month after month of security. And it wasn't just, there's no way it could have ended up just being, hey, look how blessed physically we are. They had to be saying to themselves, look at the kindness of Boaz. It continues, it hasn't stopped. But then he had to go on further. Look at the kindness of God. Look what God's doing in my life. I didn't think it was going to work out at all coming home. I didn't know that God was going to respond to me so well. But here he is blessing me and blessing me and blessing me and blessing me. I'm a widow. We're widows. I'm a, I'm a Moabite. I don't deserve this. Why? And over and over, day after day, they're seeing the truth about God. They're seeing his grace. They're seeing his mercy. They're seeing his power. They're seeing his sovereignty. He's working. By the time this harvest was over, how could they not have seen God's hand in this as chance chanced? It wasn't chance. God sent her to Boaz's field. He sent her to a man that was a picture of Christ. He sent her to a man that would love them. And God was displaying his love over and over and over again. And man, you and I, you and I need to see this. We need to see this. We don't need to miss this. So many of us, we're working really hard not to live in grace. Aren't we? Living in grace says that we acknowledge that the one who will take care of us is the Lord God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ. And for some of us, that just about kills us. It goes against everything that we've ever been taught, and it goes against everything that burns up inside of us. We declare we're going to take care of ourselves. We don't want to depend on God. We don't want to rely on God. Basically, we don't want to believe in God. We don't want to have to believe. We want to make our way, accomplish our will, make things happen. And then when we need God will holler. That's not living in grace. That's living like a Limelech. That's headed off away from God, thinking you're going to handle life on your own. Many of us, though we know some things, like sometimes we feel like a Moabite, like we just don't belong. Isn't that right? Because we just don't belong, maybe God's not going to take care of us. That's not true. Many of us feel like we're widows living with just a very little and there's no hope to have anymore. I mean, I'm sure Ruth never imagined she was going to have that much food to save up for that much time. Ruth probably never imagined there was ever hope for her marrying again as we're going to see that's going to happen as we go through the book of Ruth. But all of it, all of it happened because they came home to the living God and sought refuge under his wings. Life comes from God. It comes through Jesus Christ. It does not come from working harder. It doesn't come from being smarter. It doesn't come from being better prepared emotionally or physically. Life comes from Christ. It's offered freely to all who would believe. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's for all. But we have to come to him. We have to come to him. Some of you today need to come to Jesus. Man, you've been waiting for a long time. You've been looking everywhere you can. You're broken and tired and just frustrated with life. The truth of the matter is is you need to come to Jesus. You need to trust him today. You need to say, I am a sinner, and I can't take care of myself, and I need to be saved and forgiven of my sins, and I need you to give me life. You need to come to Christ today. And some of us, as followers of Christ, we need to be renewed. We have been living out there thinking we're going to do it on our own. The more we think we're going to do it on our own, the farther we are from God. The more the world has impenetrated our lives. The more we think like the world. We don't really think about God. We don't really think about his ways. We don't really believe in the fact that he is able to take care of us. And we don't want to believe because we think we're going to handle it on our own, but trials are coming. They come to every life. Loss and hurt comes to every life. Suffering and need comes to every life. Sickness and death comes to every life. Why wait till they come to know the one who walks us through? Why not return? Why not return home? Why not go back and go Man, Lord, I screwed up. I was out there. I screwed up. I don't want to be out there. I want to be with you, fully with you. Take me. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I don't need more money. I don't need a better car. I don't need a new house. I don't need a better job. I don't need a better spouse. I don't need better children. I need you. Man, some of us as followers of Christ, we need to come back. Quit playing games with him. Come back. Man, unexpected grace. It's not so unexpected when you see Jesus. He offers it. We need to take it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. It's not unexpected. You've offered and all who come to you receive it. So I pray today for those that are lost, that today they believe, even now, they'd be saying to you, Lord, I do believe. I believe you died and rose again. Save me, forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I pray that even now they do that. Lord, I pray for those of us that have walked away for whatever reasons, distractions, weaknesses, sinfulness, pride. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't want to walk in the world. I don't want to walk. None of us do. The world's too hard, and you're too good. You're too good to reject. Lord, help us turn back to you, draw near to you, be satisfied in you. Lord, I ask that you do a powerful work today for your glory, and I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Our pastors are down front. We'd love to pray with you and minister to you. If you have questions, we'd love to answer those questions.
2: Give me eyes to see more of who you are Look what I behold, still my anxious heart Take what I have known and break it all apart You, my God, are greater still and no sky contains, no doubt restrains all you are—the greatness of our God. Spend my life to know I'm far from close to all you are—the greatness of our. on this moment here To believe that there is nothing left to fear Oh no, and that you alone are high above it all You, my God, are greater still And no sky contains no doubt Greatness of our God I spend my life to know that I'm far from close to all you are the greatness of our God all you are the greatness of our God Let's
4: pray Lord we love you We're so grateful for Jesus, so grateful for this story of Ruth that reminds us, Lord, that you are unexpectedly gracious in so many ways. Thank you, Lord God, that you love us, that your love is unconditional, that you're willing, Lord, to take us where we are as we turn back to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would just turn back to you, Lord God, draw near and find hope in you. And I pray for those that don't know Christ here this morning that today would be the day of their salvation. They would believe in you, Lord Jesus, and you would make them new, make them part of your family, give them life. And I pray, Lord, you'd send us out today to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those in need. And I pray, Lord, that many would come to know you. In Jesus'
1: name we pray, amen.